Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. I am Mark Seavey, your host for this show, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeff Daly in Hollywood, California. Hello, Jeff. And Ashley Gorbolja Maldonado from our nation's capital. And today we have a very special guest, so everyone welcome Hope Sec, who is joining us today. Uh, Hope is an award-winning investigative and enterprise reporter who has been covering military issues since 2009. She is the managing editor for Military.com. Her previous assignments have included a war zone embed in Afghanistan with Marines and multiple reporting trips aboard amphibious ships and aircraft carriers. Her awards include multiple North Carolina Press Association honors, the 2015 and 2017 Marine Corps Heritage Foundation Award for feature writing, the Military Reporters and Editors Association 2015 Award for domestic military coverage, and last but not least, the 2016 American Legion Fourth Estate Award. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, she's also a member of the Board of Directors for Military Reporters and Editors Association. She's a graduate of King's College in New York City. Her work has appeared in just about everywhere that you would uh, care to read military stories. So, Hope, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great glad to be we, here. I'm glad we've made it through our usual uh, round of technical difficulties here. We're actually starting on time, which is shocking for us. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> but, uh, Jeff, we will go to you for the first question. Go. All right, Hope. I'm the hard hitter here. I don't know if you could tell that off sure the, the get-go. <laughs> so I noticed when uh, looking your stuff up that you – had previously worked with the Marine Corps Times. And I don't know if uh, I can speak from firsthand experience that Marines are are the handsomest, wittiest, and most charming of all of the branches. And if you could set that bias aside for a moment, <laughs> um, I'd like to ask you how it was embedding with the Marines and how did how did that contribute to your information gathering to allow you to put out award-winning product. Oh my goodness. Well, I've got to back up just a little bit because my start in journalism was at the Daily News of Jacksonville, North Carolina, which most Marines, if they're unlucky enough, didn't say their prayers, end up at Camp Lejeune if they're on the East Coast. And (laughs) including present company. So it was a trial by fire. So I grew up in Massachusetts. I didn't have much uh, experience with the military whatsoever. And um, I basically showed up because there was a job opening for a military beat reporter. I didn't know my acronyms. I didn't actually know the difference between an officer and an enlisted Marine, which was a big no-no. I thought all generals were the same, didn't realize there were four different ranks. So I was a fool. Uh, but it was, I mean, you, you spend time in a Marine Corps community and you just learn to speak Marine and it is a culture like none other. It is so close and I was there in 2009 beginning, so that was right when there was the troop surge to Afghanistan, so 
uh, my neighbors and friends and everyone I knew in town was deploying. Um, and it was just a really intense time and the, the community got even tighter, I think, as a result of that. So that was my introduction. And once I kind of learned to speak Marine, I just wanted to, to keep kind of honing that skill and stay connected to the community any way I could. I ended up marrying the only civilian in town, the brother of Marines. So <laughs> I can't believe I, I, I got out of Jacksonville uh, without becoming a military spouse, which everyone assumed I was anyway. Congratulations. But to, your, <laughs> but to your question, there's nothing like actually going to a location uh, to really help you write about it. So my first time in Afghanistan was in spring 2014. That was right at the heart of the dra drawdown. In fact, I was there just as the Marines were leaving Sangin for what they thought was the last time in, in Helmand province to the south of Afghanistan. And that was the site of a, a lot of crucial battles and really hard fought, very costly. And seeing their, their competence uh, really blew my mind. I mean, seeing Marines in garrison and seeing them downrange is two different things. And also talking to guys who had deployed there twice, three times and said, because of what we did, it's a safer place than it was two years ago. You see those motorcycles riding around, you see that economic activity, those families, that's all new. And we did that and it was hard. That was life changing, to be honest with you. So, you know, a lot of a lot of war reporters in my generation have much more exciting stories than I do about uh, sporty, you know, shooting fights and and narrowly missing bullets and and you know spending time in in houses that were getting ambushed. Um, my experience was was a lot tamer than that. I gotta say, I spent a lot of time at Camp Leatherneck. Not much going on there, um, but. It's, it was a game changer, and it's definitely helped me cover the community with more empathy. Where are you from? Well, I would say this is before oh, we go too oh. far. Where are you from in Massachusetts? <laughs> My family's from Waltham, Massachusetts, okay. just about 15 right. minutes west of Boston. Yeah, I, I grew up even further west, so I grew up in Berkshire County. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Western Mass is like the, the state's best kept secret. That's awesome out there. Yeah, we, I think most people in Western Mass would like to keep that a secret from all the uh, Bostonians coming out. <laughs> Ashley, you are up next. All right. So, um, I absolutely, so I saw that you also write for the Center for American Security, and I'm very excited about that because... I have, I think it was, let's see, the Veterans Pathways to Employment Hurdles and oppor uh, Opportunities. And I, I know you didn't write those ones specifically, but knowing the veteran, um, the veteran space, um, I just wanted to hear some of your experiences and working with that organization and how your writing has expanded over the years to now being, you know, with Research Foundation, specifically writing to veterans. Sure. So I have the really kind of heady honor of being one of the Center for New American Securities uh, Next Generation Security Fellows for 2020. And it it's uh, this year, which nobody anticipated that we'd be spending the entire year on Zoom, basically. Uh, but it is the most amazing program. And I'm saying that now because they're accepting applications. And I think everyone should apply if you're in the national security field, if you're 
kind of in the middle of your career and you want to be a better leader or a better mentor, there are um, there's a submarine officer who's just an incredible woman who's part of the group. There are uh, there's a green beret. There are military lawyers and people from USAID and the Department of State. Just remarkable. And I've been in Zoom calls with people like Madeline Albright and oh, Michelle oh, Flournoy goals. and Jay Johnson. Oh, oh my God! Right? <laughs> it is amazing. So all that to say, I am looking for every opportunity. I've been covering this community for about 11 years now, and wow. I just want to hone my craft in every way possible. And it's opened up this kind of bouquet of new stories and new experiences to write about. That is amazing. So many goals, just hashtag goals. Can we get that subtexted underneath producer Holly? Hashtag goals. Yes. Um. <laughs> so my question is actually about some stories that you've written recently that I particularly liked because at the American Legion, we've been tracking both of these and there are two Medal of Honor recipients, potentially, uh, Alwyn Cash and Waverly Woodson. Can you talk about where we stand on those and what you kind of project moving forward, like what might be the timeline? Um, just anything you have about either of those cases would be great. You know, I'm so excited that you brought those up. Alwyn Cash particularly, it's really timely that you, you raise his name because today, in fact, any minute, the Senate is expected to pass this bill that's going to create this waiver that will basically create a clear path for him to receive the Medal of Honor. Now, um, Sergeant First Class Alwyn Cash, for anyone who's not familiar with this story, you absolutely should be. In 2005 in Iraq, he was in a Bradley fighting vehicle that ran over an improvised explosive device. It uh, blew up, there was a fire, um, there was a fuel canister that, that exploded. So he's covered with fuel and on fire and there are six other guys in this vehicle. So even though he is actively burning, he goes back to the vehicle again and again and again and gets every single soldier out. And tragically, he died from his burns three weeks later. And it must have just been uh, such, a, such a painful period. And yet he didn't hesitate one bit so it's been 15 years and yeah. this fight it's hard to know why it has gone on so long to to give him the medal of honor but people who follow this uh stuff awards and heroism they say he's the the textbook case he deserves it so the the waiver issue you basically you're supposed to process medal of honor paperwork within five years of a specific action and it's been 15 so Congress just needs to say, okay, we waive that requirement. All we need is the president's approval. And that's looking like it's going to happen. Now, yeah. Waverly Woodson, and uh, I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit long-winded. but No, no, not at all. He's, a, he's an African-American World War II hero from uh, D-Day. Just a remarkable story. A, a medic. Um, he was on the beaches and saved hundreds and and his name has been raised back to the surface really fairly recently. And there's legislation right now to basically clear the way, say, this guy deserves the Medal of Honor. And there's some precedent because in World War II and all of World War II, the war came to an end and zero black troops had received the Medal of Honor. And that's clearly 
a, a sign of the, the racist state of the country at the time. And it took President Bill Clinton in the 1990s to raise the issue and say, this is wrong. And ultimately, nine black soldiers and, and troops received the medal. Uh, but there are so many stories that haven't been told. And so it's great that those are coming back to the surface now. Yeah, when when my friend David Bellavia got his, there was 15 years after he had actually earned it. So we're kind of seeing these long waits, and there's enough waiting on the Alwyn Cash. We've There's many of us in the military community who've been begging them to do something about him for at least 15, you know, 10 to 15 years of constantly, and I can't wait. I literally cannot wait for Alwyn Cash to get it. I can't wait to go out and cover it. It's going to be such a great moment. Um, but uh, and Waverly Woodson, I had, I was relatively familiar with the African Americans who came ashore on D-Day with the balloons, and he was in that he was in that balloon unit. Um, and actually, in reading your story today about it, I saw that there was that book out. And I already can't remember the name of the book, but I ordered it on Audible earlier today, so I'll be uh, listening to the story of him. But it's a great. Now I know that on your podcast, uh, Left of Boom, you actually talked to my mentor and friend Doug Sterner about kind of the politics of the Medal of Honor. And can you just talk about that very briefly on on how that's kind of played into all this? Well, first of all, thanks for shouting out the podcast. As, as a podcast noob, <laughs> I have this great appreciation now for how hard it is and, and uh, the work that you all put in, and I feel like I am learning things by making mistakes. So yes, check out Left of Boom. Let me know what you like and don't like uh, for anyone who's listening. Um, but Doug Sterner, you know, the, the goal of this podcast was to go back and, and talk, have longer conversations with the most interesting people I had ever encountered in the military community, and he's one. And there's nobody who knows military awards and medals more than he does. And, and as you know, uh, Alwyn Cash is, has been his number one. He deserves the Medal of Honor. Um, but I know he's got a really long list. And I'm so yeah. grateful for people like him in the military community who, you know, of his own initiative, he, he's basically dedicated his life to tabulating these accounts of heroism that otherwise might have been forgotten or, um, you know, misfiled or, or somehow lost to history. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we will be back in just a second. Did you know the American Legion magazine is the most frequently read periodical in the nation? True story. Find out why by joining today at legion.org forward slash join. All right, we are back, and Jeff, you are up with your second question, there, buddy. I'm up first again. Yeah, that must mean I didn't, I didn't, I didn't screw it up the last time. Well, okay, you keep so complaining that I keep I, stealing your questions, so I figure I get, if I let you go first, <laughs> you can't possibly complain anymore. <laughs> well, except that you asked me what I was going to ask before the show, so you still could I, do. I, you could have done that. Do that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, hope. Now the second the second round I'm kind of known for asking these multi-layered complex questions and you don't really know where I'm going until I get to the question. So in today's world with our micro niche news where everything seems targeted to a specific perspective, I'm wondering how you see the future 
of investigative journalism, which you're so amazing at. And then I, and then I'd like you to tie it into how that feeds the content of Left of Boom. Hmm. Those are amazingly great questions. That's, that's, that's the well first known. time. Let's, let's, give, let's give Jeff a sticker for a good question. Good job, Jeff. Bravo. 26 episodes in good and job, he's finally buddy. asked something relevant. All right. When, whenever anyone has a chance to, to fire questions at this reporter, I mean, one of the ones that I typically get is, what about the fake news? What are you doing yeah. about that? So, so I appreciate, even if that's what you were trying to ask, um, I appreciate the, the tactful way. <laughs> anyway, it's I'll, I'll take doing. it all. I, I love the hard questions, but uh, it's well known that the industry has been in trouble for decades now. I mean, subscriptions are down. People are not buying print copies of anything, and it's really hard to, to make people pay for things on the internet. So everyone's kind of in the same uh, tricky place of trying to carve out their niche of an audience and get readers. But what I've actually found is that specificity is winning the day. So people go to specific sites, for example, for long form pieces, or you might go to the War Horse, which is run by some really good friends of mine for military memoirs. Or you might go to, um, if you're an avid golfer, you know, like Golf Digest, for example, something like that. Those, those subscriptions are, are less likely to be in trouble because they're, they're covering things that nobody else, you can't read about in the Associated Press or, or some of these big national publications. So I think there's a real opportunity and that's something that I tell my reporters constantly is think about our audience and don't write the stories that everyone else is going after. Don't follow the herd. Uh, our audience is, is active duty troops, it's veterans, it's spouses, and we treat those demographics differently. We have content that's geared toward, toward each of those segments. But, you know, we, we ask the question, how is this going to affect me if I'm in uniform? You know, I don't care necessarily about the, the over the top, you know, talking points, the policy, but, you know, how is this going to affect the reader if I'm active duty and I just need the information? How can I best be served? And so Left of Boom, I think, is an outgrowth of that and that I really want to take the, the topics that people are talking about and unpack them a little bit uh, more thoroughly. For example, one of my upcoming guests is the uh, senior enlisted leader of the new Space Force, uh, Chief Master Sergeant Toberman. I know, I know. The, the interview is still coming up, so I don't want to jinx it, but I really think it's going to be great, and you should definitely listen. Um, but, you know, I'm going to ask him those tough questions. You know, people didn't think they needed a Space Force, and now we've got one. Uh, you know, in the case of a crisis or a contingency, what does mobilization of Space Force look like? Uh, what do deployments look like? All the things that, you know, whether you're in the service, in the military or out of it or former military, you want to know. Well, that's well, I will tell you off the bat every week when we do our, our, our regular format show and uh, CB's like, 
What stories are we going to talk about? And he talks. He does it in exactly that voice. It's, it's I always, I have a few. Always <laughs> space force. Always space it's, force. We do space force a lot. We do Space Force a lot, but I will say that Military.com is one of my go-tos. Yeah, absolutely. Because what I, I, what I feel like is, and I'm, you know, I'm out here, I'm a Hollywood guy, and story is, and I don't mean stories like journalistic stories about, you know, who, what, where, when, why, but actually telling a story to get that information across resonates with me, and I think, um, and I... I think that resonates with a lot of people because as my, I get in arguments with my friend and we talk about I'm 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 an economics you know guy and so data I I need data and then she's social anthro and she's like no but stories stories and what we've found <laughs> out are anecdotes need data to justify any kind of action but uh, data needs anecdotes to uh, humanize. The stories. So, I love I love the approach that you guys are doing. And uh, do you? And I, now that you're in managerial duties, uh, do you see that happening, or do you have to train it in new writers? So, another great question. One of the things that is so great about <laughs> two on the day, I love it. One of the things that is so great about being in a military community and something I miss from living outside Camp Lejeune is you walk around and your neighbors, your friends, they tell you stories. They they tell you about the problems that they're going through or, you know, a deployment, an issue that you might not have heard about. And that's your way in. That's your way into the story. And I still think those are the best stories. I love when people send us tips and say, help I've, I've got a problem, I've got a quandary, I've got this unique military issue that I'm not seeing anyone covering. Please um, do some digging. Help me get to the bottom of this. Um, otherwise, you know, the, the process is a lot less organic. So I've got a remote news team, but we're all based in the D.C. area. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. We're not driving onto bases all the time. And so sometimes you start with a policy and then you're kind of looking around and saying, who does this affect and who can I talk to to get a better sense of what these numbers mean and the, the real world impact of that. And thank God for things like Facebook and Twitter and yeah. all those other places that you can go to track people down and find out who's vocal and who's concerned and try to, to help them as best you can and, and connect what you know to what they know. Um, but, you know, local reporting especially because it's in trouble right now because so many papers are closing and shutting down staffs and all of these things that really make me sad. I just have to shout them out. It's, it's God's work and I really depend so, so greatly on, on the work that they do to inform my own. Well, thank you for answers that equal my questions. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, How wow. magnanimous. <laughs> wow. We're never going to live down his two good questions. It's, it's He's going to be phoning it in the rest of the year. All right, yeah. Ashley, you're up. Follow up the genius that is Jeff. Genius Jeff, got it. So, Hope, one of the things that I've been learning, I'm, I'm taking a class right now on policy writing, is really like carving out time for your creative process. I know everyone has a different creative process, and 
when you have a deadline and you have to hit a certain subject, like how do you kind of take a step back and like re-get back to like your roots in writing? Like where did you start creatively and how do you, how do you set time aside to like continue to grow in that process? Ooh, tough one. I actually, I've been working with Doug Sterner on a project. Um, this is, I mean, it's it's not like out there, out there news. So <laughs> I guess you guys are the, the the first to know. But he's he's working on this kind of compl- compilation book of uh, you know stories of military heroism, and I just kind of wrapped up a chapter that I'm submitting for that. And I sent it to my deputy editor, who is a fantastic copy editor and so great at, um, you know, really critical feedback. And I forgot to tell her that it was mine. I think she would have been more gentle. <laughs> she, she gave me some really harsh feedback about how flowery it was and how it meandered and how it needs work. So I've got to go hit my head on the desk after this and uh, sort that out. <laughs> but I mean... The, the artistry of writing, something that I learned and, and had to to actually sort of unlearn some things when I became a journalist, is it's way more important to be a good reporter than it is to be a good writer. There are a lot of mm-hmm. uh, people out there who are, it's just the facts. And and that actually is is not a bad thing. You know, I, I've had to work with a lot of young reporters, including myself at one point, who wrote all these kind of storybook leads about uh, from the dawn of time, people have worn boots, and now the army has a new boot. <laughs> you think I'm joking, but it, it really does get that bad. Oh, and so, so blending the two, and uh, especially on those feature stories, and when you're you're you know telling somebody else's account right. and, and making those things sing, and really just trying to hone your craft and tell the best story possible. I think that's what it's all about. And it's it's a really level up. There are not that many reporters out there who I think do both really well, the facts gathering and the writing, or, you know, communication in other forms. But I I think it's so important. So with that being said, do you have any tips for, like, the, the novice folks that are, are trying to write and uh, contribute to Military Times and the plethora of umbrella um, sources and websites and stuff that you have for sure so i work especially with a lot of people writing um opinion editorials and Mm -hmm. and kind of contributed uh viewpoints and we love publishing those and i actually kind of wrote out a list of things that i that i want to see in op-eds and i just saw a twitter thread um today from the editor of war on the rocks and he was echoing some of the same things so I think these are challenges that, that face any young writers, especially in the military community, who are looking to submit. Um, the first thing is get to the point. Have an argument. Have several points that define your argument. And don't start over here. You know, start start here and then get narrower. Um, the, the more precise you can be, the more personal you can be. The, the reason that your voice matters is because of who you are and the experiences that you've had, especially if you're submitting um, an opinion piece. And I've, I've turned down pieces from, you know, VA officials and, and various things. And I just say, there's, there's nothing 
the uh, of substance here you know go go back and and tell me something that 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 hasn't been told before or or give me a perspective that you think is missing um because i constantly go through our website like a reader and i say when i click on that uh does that draw me in does that provide me any value does that pay off if i do click on it and is it giving me worthwhile information so so that's that's i think the biggest thing if you're a writer if you want to contribute um first of all say would i want to read this and and second say you know does this speak to my expertise and experience um be narrow be specific start with a personal anecdote end with a personal anecdote uh those are the kind of things that i love to see and even though i've been a little bit long-winded here i have to say i've run op-eds from a couple of active duty troops in the last year that have spurred conversations with their service chiefs because they said we see a problem or we see an issue and here's a specific question we want to ask or a specific proposal and i love that i feel like you know the the wizard of oz kind of helping the magic to happen awesome that's awesome I, I, i'll start by saying this every morning the first thing i do every day is i look through the military news and that's usually i start with usually you guys i usually start with military.com and then i'll go to anything leo shane has written in the past 24 hours <laughs> anything dan lamont has written anything alex horton has written anything stripes has put up but the number one story today, and whoever wrote this for you deserves a raise, but uni Unicorn Made Famous by Shark Incident oh Floats into History at Coast Guard Museum. Epic. And, Epic. And the, the first paragraph of it that we're going to discuss in our next podcast was just so spectacular. I just loved everything about it, so I think it's great. So I, mean, I got kind of two questions for you here as we wrap it up. Um, the first is that my background, I, I was a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. I went to Afghanistan as an infantryman. I came back and finished up law school, and I had no interest in being a reporter, like less than zero. However, the editor of the American Legion magazine said, would you like to be our war reporter, and you can go back to Afghanistan? And I was like, absolutely. Like, get me back to Afghanistan. Get me everywhere you can. And I found out that while when my when I would actually write the things up, it would come back with a lot of red and then the editors would get it. So it made sense. But embedded reporting is really where my sweet spot is because you're able, usually with an embedded, you know, I don't quote colonels and generals and everything else. It's usually staff sergeant so-and-so or private so-and-so. And I get to tell their stories. How much, how much of your work do you get? Do you have to be just a straight reporter and how much can you do more of the fun stories from, you know, from kind of the lower enlisted guys or, or, you know, the people who don't always get the press. Oh, so good. And this is like my, my daily challenge. First of all, got to say, so Patricia Keim, uh, amazing reporter, wrote that story about the Coast Guard unicorn. And I actually just came from a coffee meeting with her, the, the first since March, because we're all, you know, sequestered for COVID. Um, yeah. But she's yeah. wonderful, and I'm so glad to to call her a teammate. That first um, paragraph, that first paragraph is the way every story should be written. And again, <laughs> I'm not, I won't go into it, but it is spectacular. I can't wait to tell her that. Well, I sometimes see it as the balance between brownies and broccoli, and mm -hmm. you know, a good, happy, balanced okay. diet. 
probably should have both. And the thing is, you want every story to, to have value, to not just be sort of cotton candy. And you don't want to, to focus too much on sort of the, the stuff that makes you giggle, even when that stuff is the most popular. Like, there's right. no question people are going to click on unicorns more than they will on defense policy issues or budget. And yet, you kind of need to have both. So sometimes it's, you know, finding the, the mesh point where you can use something humorous or, or kind of an interesting angle to get people in, involved and excited about an issue. And sometimes it's just finding that balance of the stuff that is just so fun to read um, with, the, with the stuff that our readers really depend on us for. I actually was having a conversation with another reporter recently about a new policy the Army put out, and there were a couple ways to read it, and he was a little concerned that, you know, if we if we play up certain angles that people are just going to, you know, blow spitballs and it's going to be another, like, oh, let's laugh at what the Army's doing, when actually it's kind of a positive initiative. And so, <laughs> you know, everyone loves to, to <laughs> laugh, especially if you've ever been in uniform. You, yeah. you love to make fun. You love to say, you know, what are these guys thinking? But I like to think that we do kind of have a conscience. And um, it's not just about doing the, the things that are going to, what we call clickbait, that are going to draw eyeballs. And it's not just about doing the things that make us giggle, but it's kind of giving a really rounded perspective on the news. Um, yeah, and so, you know, to sort of sum up, both are important, I think, Knowing our audience is a big part of knowing gonna, what's going to set them off and what's going to make them just want to know more. Um, but we've got that, that core of just issues reporting that they really care about, too. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get it. I, I see stories all the time that you're just like, it's just a slab of red meat and you're throwing it out to the dogs and you know that. But mm -hmm. My other question had to do more with the investigative reporting. You had had... Um, two stories last month, um, both of which I found really interesting and had shared with people. And they both both dealt kind of peripherally with stolen valor. One was the uh, fake Navy SEAL uh, that managed to bilk the VA out of 300000 uh, And he was a POW in the 80s, which should have set somebody off at some point. And there was another lady who managed to bilk the VA out of another 300000 where she was, uh, it was Julie Wheeler in West Virginia, who was basically charging the VA for these home things. And my question is less about them and more about what is this, when you reach out to the VA, and I'm assuming you're saying, like, how does this happen? How do you sign off on a 1980 SEAL being a POW and dragged to this? And his story was... 100% insane. Anyone with any any foot in reality you read know. that story and was like, this person's crazy. Like, wh how how much... I mean, you've got to bang your head at times, too, when the VA won't comment on those. So how far can you dig knowing that you have to go back and play in the same playground again and again and again? Mm. Yeah. It's funny. One of the, the first kind of breakthrough stories in my career many, many years ago was about a guy who was calling himself a retired Marine colonel who had deployed to, you know, Laos and Vietnam and done black ops and all this stuff and had 
seven silver stars and nine purple hearts and four navy crosses and enough to make anyone who knows what they're thinking scratch their head. Um, but he had been effective enough with this scam that he was asked to speak at like local Vietnam memorial celebrations in front of generals. And sure enough, it turned out he was bulking the VA, even though he had basically not made it too far past boot camp. Uh, but Yikes. you know, he was, he was making all these claims and he ended up going to, to jail for it as a result of my reporting, which made the local veterans community pretty happy. Oh yeah. Um, so the, the stories that we end up hearing about are the dramatic ones, you know, the seal who was a POW in the 1980s and mm -hmm. this woman who was hiding in a closet ultimately after a failed attempt to, to scam these benefits. Yeah. I think the, the good side of, of this story and in these things is that you see the Department of Justice and the VA and all of these other agencies band together. It's usually from the DOJ that I hear these things and they're, you know, sort of beating their chest like, look what we did, we brought this person down, <laughs> we're establishing order and it was this joint interagency effort but ultimately, the VA is the largest bureaucracy in in the country, I think, or one or two, and yeah. and it's massive. And there's just it's impossible. I mean, the the scam that is sort of the the gift that keeps on giving story wise is um, I'm sure you're familiar with kind of the the cream scheme. I think they called it where everyone starts making these topical lotions and then charging TRICARE uh, for, you know, like absurd amounts of money for things exactly that they're fixing up in their yeah. basement. And they have bagged so many people, physicians and veterans and VA employees who are part of this and people are still um, paying fines and, and even, you know, potentially doing time. So, so they're vigilant, you know, uh, and it's hard work. And I, so I don't want to, I don't want to come down too hard on, you know, a, a job that I would not want. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're not the most forthcoming about these things, but I think yeah, no, what I, I what I've always said to military public affairs officers is the, the good stuff is the news that needs your help to come out because yeah, the bad stuff sure. will come out with, with or without you. I'll find out about it. Absolutely. So yeah, that stuff comes to light. The, the military sometimes can be, you know, they see all the bad news and then you get an embedded journalist show up and it's 50, 50 on whether they trust you or just straight up. Don't trust you right from jump street. Right. And I know when I did an embed, there was a, we were in an outpost. There was like, nothing was going on there. We took the vehicle out and I had video of a staff sergeant talking to a turtle. It was just this guy standing there talking to a turtle. <laughs> And it, to me, it was like a story. It was like, hey, look, you know, guys over here are having fun like anywhere else. And his sergeant major tried to kick me out of the embed because I had published that he had a pet. Now, mind you, it wasn't a pet. It was just a turtle he picked up. And I was like, look, I'm not the enemy here. I'm Whatever good you guys are doing, I'm I'm here to broadcast. But sometimes, man, the walls go up and you don't know how to get past them. It can be, it can be tough yeah. on those embeds. So finally, what uh, what do we now that you you've got the American Legion Fourth Estate Award that you that you had received and you've got all these other awards? What uh, what, what are you looking for in the future? Hmm. I love to tell people that I got the same award that John Wayne got many many years ago. Uh, in fact, yeah, I, I 
I don't know if you can see it on my shelf, but I've got the American Legion Award back there. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> right now, I am trying to spend more time on deeper dives, to be honest. Um, you know, running a, a tight shop of five reporters and putting out a podcast, it's a full-time plus job. And I was recently on a TV interview and the the host stopped me and said, it sounds like somebody is banging on the desk behind you. And I said, oh no, that's my one-year-old sprinting back and forth upstairs. Nice. So everything is a little <laughs> bit more challenging in the pandemic, but especially coming off the CNAS fellowship, uh, you know, in the coming year, I'd like to, to travel more. Um, I've got a couple of really exciting projects that I'm just starting in on now. And, um, you know, rather than just kind of doing one-off stories of the day, spot news, uh, telling some longer form stories that, that matter and have some staying power. Awesome. All right. Well, Hope, thank you so very much for joining us. And oh. uh, we look forward to discussing your work in the future, just as we're about to discuss the the unicorn floaty. It's going to be... Between and I have that to say, and that and Space Force, those are our two. Those are our two go-to's. What you and I have say, to Ashley? say, really quick, love the brownies and broccoli. I just want to say, I'm a cookies and carrots kind of gal myself. So I, I just was like, <laughs> yeah. I heard anyone well, see, that wasn't that. even there as a prop. She literally has. Cookies this is on my cook. This is my cookie wallet. It's amazing. So oh, I, good heavens! Well, yeah, it's a wallet. Yeah. Oh, I've got to get me one of those. Isn't that cool? Oh. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Louise. Cookies and carrots, well, go, and broccoli. My, my big lesson of the day is if um, you, from your from your perspective on writing, I think when people go to speak at Congress, they need to bring a unicorn so that the blow up unicorns so that they have that there with the the sub the substance. You know, you have to bring the silly and the substance, and I think we'll get more done. And that's my big lesson from you today. And I also want to, I also want to commend you for leaving Jacksonville with your sanity intact. I clearly did not. So. <laughs> but Thank you me. survived, <laughs> survived and thrived. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you, thank you for being here, and uh, to everybody else, we will see you next week. Bye bye.